Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the roundtable for our 18th podcast with Gulf Coast Poker. Uh, we got a, a really good guest coming up uh, in our interview. But right now, uh, my partner in crime, Wild Bill Phillips, and poker writer uh, and GCP operative G um, Ben Saxon, and I are going to talk a little bit about poker uh, and, and some of the uh, – the uh, current events going on guys you want to take it away yeah so uh i guess we should start first talk about the boravage heater that gene and i were at i think ben was uh in arizona if i recall correctly during that time the heater was great we we watched um a lot of big guarantees be crushed so I think they had a million dollar guarantee on the opening event and they beat that by 500,000, half a million. Uh, I think on their main event, they also had a million guarantee and it was maybe another 500,000 over. They had another million in guarantees during the week and they either doubled or tripled all those. So there was a huge turnout. Adam Nash kicked butt just like he did cancer and just like he does in those bare knuckle fights. Like he was very aggressive with those guarantees and the people showed up and that was pretty, pretty impressive tournament. Didn't you think Gene? Yes. Um, you know, what you and I had spoke about it. Uh, I was a little nervous, uh, with those guarantees, but, um, I can always get, all my nerves calmed whenever I'm around Paul Dutch and uh, get a, a read on what he's thinking. And I never saw Paul sweat <laughs> one time, which gave me confidence that we were going to get there on all the guarantees. And sure enough, we did. It was a great turnout and, um, you know, great property, the Beau Rivage. You got the, the new poker room and um, they had the final table um, and the new poker room of, I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct. So we were covering the, the main event final table in the new poker room. And we got to see a lot, lot of good players. Um, some players from Houston were there. I think there was like three of them that went deep. And one of the ones in the chop was Will Leffingwell, who recently won in the last year or so a PLO bracelet, the WSOP. Uh, John Dolan, the November Niner from Florida had uh you know he's had a ton of big scores in his career but that this they when they chopped it i think four ways he got one of the bigger ones i think they all got over 140k if i'm recalling correctly uh, so that was a, a real good um final table we had some local interests that you know when we're covering it we're always kind of maybe rooting for a little, little bit on the side and none of them went made it as deep as maybe we would have liked um, but still a great turnout event one, the winner got over 220,000. We'll probably hear from that guy very shortly, but that was pretty impressive on a $400 buy-in. They had six fights and just knocked it out. So, um, can't wait for the, the next event at the bow. People love playing tournament poker there. That is for sure. And Adam Nash does a great product. You guys, uh, want to talk about perhaps something else that went on uh, in the poker world. Another guy from the Gulf Coast who had a really 
good month. It was at the Poker Go Cup, I believe. His name's Jonathan Little. You remember Jonathan Little, Gene? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think uh, if I remember right, Jonathan was on our first cover, cover of our Gulf Coast Poker Magazine back in the day. And he's from Pensacola, right? That's correct. And his father, Larry, plays quite a few of our events, and he always shows up and represents. And he's a great guy. It's a great family. Uh, Little got involved in some controversy, none, none of his doing, but Matt Berkey, I believe, came in and kind of criticized. Let me think about it. Was it Berkey that criticized Little or Negrano that criticized Little? I can't remember which one. I think, uh, I think Berkey criticized Berkey. him and Negrano yeah. took up for him. Yeah. Is that right? Um, he, uh, you know, Little, one of the interesting things about this story, I think, is how Little has, um, you know, he's obviously been a, a very successful poker player in his own right over the years, but where he's, he's shown uh, and, and, and uh, separate himself even more maybe is in his coaching. Like he's really has a, a really strong brand. He's got books and um, he's largely marketed to, you know, lower stakes folks who are uh, maybe trying to play semi-professionally or, or maybe, maybe turn pro. And, and so the, uh, yeah, the most recent Poker Go Cup is him. Those fields are small. You have the best players in the world. And he won the main event for um, well, the, the last cup, the, the 25K buy-in for 453K. He also won um, the third event for 229k and you know for those for, for for anybody who watches the the poker go tour there's you know basically it's a small series five or ten k buy-ins usually capped off with the 25k or 50k final tournament and it's just like 40 50 60 70 of the best players in the world so for little to to ship that is is just yet another testament to yeah, to his dedication and his, his abilities. And uh, yeah, D D Negreanu it had kind of been sticking up for Little, and maybe that gets into some side beef between Berkey and Negreanu. But um, but yeah, certainly I'm sure Little feels validated by, by this win. Right. It's pretty poor timing for Berkey to be critical of his poker coaching and, and then he goes and just like you said validates it with those two big wins against the best players in the world it's it's hard to argue with them now and you know what's also weird is you speak about little's character uh, we know him a little bit from uh, a long time ago from that magazine that you mentioned gene the short-lived gulf coast poker magazine i know he's involved i I'm not sure if the charity's ending up for autism but i know he has done stuff like that in the past his family is all class act. Larry Little is a great guy. And Jonathan, when speaking of that magazine and talk about how like he's just kind of a, a great dude. We uh, we had a at that point, it was hard to get brick and mortars to advertise with us. And we we're a new magazine. And um, it was really important to sell that back cover to get the distribution out on the magazine. And we had one lined up a, a casino. Um, Many, many different staffs ago, I'm not going to name the casino, but people that were involved in that are no longer there. Um, 
but they were going to buy it the last minute we get a phone call from like their corporate office the advertisers there uh, people in charge of the advertising budget were like nope it's not going to happen so basically we had done everything for the magazine but couldn't uh, get it dis uh, distributed and i told jonathan that it wasn't going to go to print and he said well how much does that back cover and whatever the figure was he said all right i'll uh I'll buy the advertising for my um, for my coaching site. I think it was even back then. And, you know, you could say, well, he wanted to do that because he was going to be featured in the magazine. But I, I think it was a lot more than that. I think he was just trying to help us out. He recognized what we'd been doing as a website, how we're trying to grow the game and promote poker. And and that was something that uh, he could do. So class act all around. And to get criticism like that, it's almost like, you know, why are you going after the nice kid? Like and and he's kind of is the nice kid in poker. So I'm I'm really happy for him that he's he's had that success. And it's weird that he would be in the epicenter of yet another poker beef. But you know, as he's done with everything else, I think he handled himself with class in that. I don't I don't see anybody uh criticizing anything that he's done since that happened. Good deal, man. Good deal. You uh, want to talk about the backpack of money? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what, what, why don't you why don't you uh, tell us what what went down with the backpack? I don't know, Ben. You want to jump in here? Yeah, it's a good thing there's three of us, right? So yeah, one of us can always pick up the slack. Uh, fortunately, Google is my friend, and. Um, what we're what we're referencing is uh, Anthony Anthony Zeno, who um, is by most accounts like he's a very respected player. I mean, really by all accounts, I mean it's been hard to people haven't really said a, a bad word about him over the years. He's very accomplished. He's won four bracelets. So um, a couple of weeks ago, he found uh, a backpack. Was it at the win? Was it the win? Was it in December? Yeah, I think so. That? Yeah. Okay. Um, he found a backpack and picked up the bag. Uh, and another player filed a report and alleged that it had $20,000 of cash inside. So I'm just going to go ahead and read Anthony's tweet. There's okay. I, I, I'm familiar with it. I was just um, going to let – so I can – if you're not full, full on the details, I can fill them in a little bit, but – Go ahead and read sure. the tweet first. Well, why don't I start? I'll start with his account. Um, he obviously can't say everything, I think, because there's some legal matters pending. But he he mentioned, this is what he says. He said, we'd all made it in the money, which at the end of the day, the barroom was shut down for the night. I stood up to leave and noticed the lost bag. My first instinct, it was a late night, was that I would assume responsibility and get it to the owner myself, figuring that they went home. Um My goal was to find ID or verify ownership. Unsuccessful. I brought the bag back to Encore. Uh, slept and then played day two. He says, I absolutely deny what is being alleged. And what's being alleged is that, that, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he looked, he found a, he saw an empty backpack, snagged it, eventually saw that there was 20K and wanted to, to keep it or whatever. Um, so, so supposedly he took 19 and left 1K is, is what's being said that the backpack was returned with 1,000 or roughly a thousand dollars in it, yet. The guy that lost it said that he had twenty thousand in it. So that's the accusation: is that Zeno, or as other people pointed out, perhaps 
maybe whoever Zeno gave it to um, took the money. But, uh, you know, Zeno right now is being accused of lifting the 19K. So what can we yeah. what can we say about this uh, beyond don't leave a backpack unattended in a in a in a card room? Right. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, you know, I also think it's interesting. What would you do if you were, you know, let's say let's give Zeno the benefit of the doubt here. You find the backpack. What 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 do you do? What's your procedure? And this is probably an educational experience. It, you know, you can play all, all the different possibilities, but let's say you find it and you're well-intentioned. What, what would you do? Well, I think Either one, one reason why people well, are skeptical of the story is because um, the sort of intuitive move would be to find the near security guard. Exactly. Say, hey, uh, <laughs> I found there's a bag unattended. Maybe, do you want to you want to check it out and maybe hang on to it and try to find the owner rather than sort of take security into your your own hands? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Also, uh, but then you also gotta, you know, you also gotta, you know, take a look. Uh, you know, Zeno's a very accomplished player. You, you think 19k would be worth him basically getting his reputation ruined? I don't know. So it, it, I think this is like now if I were ever to be in this situation, let's say he did it. He thought it was a small community. I don't know which tournament he was in, but maybe he thought he would be able to find the info quickly and get them the 20K. And he thought that was safer rather than giving it to a random casino security guard or to the casino itself. Um and I never would have thought, let's assume he's innocent, right? And let's say he gave the money in and somebody lifted the 19K and then they just left 1K in it because they, you know, had a crime of opportunity. Um, I never would have thought that could happen, right? If I found a big sum of money, I'd just turn it in the casino. But possibly you could turn it in the casino and uh, somebody could be, you know, a bad actor and take that money. And then now you're kind of on the hook for it. Now, circumstantially, Right. That guy shouldn't be trying to steal 19K, you wouldn't think, based on all the success he's had. But it, it doesn't look good for him either. Right. Like, it's hard to believe that the security guard or, or the casino or somebody in between took the money and not him. And then you also got to wonder, is the initial guy just making up a story and saying he had 19,000 more in it than he um, really did? Or he forgot, you know, some poker players. Like you remember that picture of Phil Ivy with the money underneath his chair, right? Like <laughs> some of these guys might have a little bit of a role and, and, and forget it. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's also sort of a window into the, um, the very weird way that gamblers um, deal with money, have an attachment to money. You know, there, there's an obsession with money on the one hand, but then there's this like abs absurd nonchalance. Sometimes you get, you know, the IV, the IV image is, is, is really iconic of just bricks of cash, like <laughs> strewn about the floor right on his seat or, you know, people right. walking around with backpacks full of cash and then they just like decide to just leave it and wander off. So, so we had it. go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say for the record, Zeno's got almost, well, eleven million six hundred thousand in winnings. Oof. Wow. 
Yeah, so 19K shouldn't um, do much for them. Um, but you never know. It, run bad is bad for everybody. Variants can eat yeah. you up quick. I don't know how fast you can burn through 10K buy-ins or how much he's back. But I do want to say you're talking about the backpacks and that kind of casual disregard for money. There's a player who's probably listening to this podcast who at Poker Gras left his backpack in a restaurant with not an insignificant amount of money and totally forgot about it. Fortunately for him, a dealer at Harris happened to be in the restaurant, saw the backpack, brought it back for him, and he got everything back from it. But, you know, it, it's not crazy that this has happened. It's, it, no other probably enterprise do people are so cavalier with money, right? Right. Yeah. Crazy. So we had one more one more uh, notable story. Uh, Bill, do you want to talk a little bit about the Phil Helm Helmuth, Mike Haxton, uh, we'll call it a beef? Yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions on this, and um, I don't want to get in trouble because it seems like some of the ones I, I disagree with the majority on uh, quite a bit. I think it's, I was reading <clears> some <throat> of these tweets. It seems like 90% are on one side and then 10% on the other, and I kind of agree with the 10%, which is weird because these are people I don't normally agree with. So I guess that means my opinion's honest. But um, Phil Helmuth tweeted that – he basically called out Ike Haxton for wearing a mask. And then a lot of other people got involved, including Daniel Negreanu and Justin Bonomo and, and everybody kind of had an opinion on it and basically was saying that it gives a big advantage to Ike. And he sort of pointed to Ike's recent success as evidence that the mask was giving him a huge advantage. But in the, accusation thrown at Ike, he kind of threw it to mask wearers in general. And this, to me, I don't want to get too much in the nuance before I let you guys talk, but to me, this is the weird thing is nobody's wearing masks right now. So when Phil Helmuth like backtracked a little bit, so well, it's not just Ike, it's about everybody. And like, that's, that's weird to me because there's so few people out there actually wearing a mask. Like, is this really a problem? Because when we go to poker tournaments, that I really don't see people wearing masks. And sometimes the ones I do see, they also have a cough. So they're probably trying to be responsible and not share as much of the virus as they would without one. But um, that, that, that rubbed me a little weird that um, it seems almost like they're trying to fix a problem that's not really there. So in, in essence, they're just calling out Ike. Did you guys see it that way or you see it a different way? Well, so I guess the reason they're saying it's he's an advantage because he covers his his like his jugglers and stuff like that. Yeah, like uh, I guess Phil, you know, White Magic and all that gets a lot of live reads on Ike, maybe around his mouth, or may, maybe it's easier to have a poker face when you got a mask on or or whatever. I've seen some people say the. Most comfortable that they felt at a table is when they're wearing a mask. Maybe it also gives you that extra layer of protection. Maybe it diminishes other tells that you might have. I'm not sure. But he drew a, a concrete line between Ike's success and the mask, um, which to me is, I don't necessarily agree with that. He's certainly in a, a, an upswing, but 
I'm not sure the mask is the result of the upswing. I hate to agree with Justin Bonomo of all people, but Bonomo pointed out that Ike's been a consistent winner forever. And then Negrano countered, well, this is the most that he's won in this amount of period. But we all know poker and variance. So if he's a great player, he at some point is going to get really hot. You know, Bonomo was really hot four or five years ago and won everything he played. So it, this just kind of happens. Yeah. But did you guys see, see the mask? That you you have different opinions on that? I mean, I'm... I, I, I feel like I was in the minority when I, I read people weigh in on, on the mask issue is it seems a lot of like anger towards uh, mask wearers. So I, I would just, just to continue on your point about, well, this doesn't, maybe this isn't as a big of an issue as it appears because, you know, you walk into a poker room and there aren't a lot of people wearing masks, but I feel like that's a very partial way of looking at things. Um, so I think one thing that I said, just to kind of get his point in there, uh, he he tweeted, many people have medical reasons that they need to be careful to avoid exposure to COVID and other respiratory infections. Banning masks would exclude, exclude them from live poker. So I think it's important to think about um, not only the people who are maskless in a card room, but the people who would really like to play poker, who would like to play live poker, but health conditions prevent them from doing so. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the, I think this issue gets to the question of like how we can create safe spaces in poker and, uh, you know, calling, I mean, Phil, assuming that Ike is playing, is using his mask as a tactic instead of for health reasons, it just feels like a bad faith argument um, that is further preventing people with health and health conditions from feeling safe. I'm uh, going in card rooms. So I am uh, very much with Ike on this. I think that, uh, you know, this also gets to the question of like, what, what are the, what are Phil's priorities? What are our collective priorities? Do we care about profits, about gaining an edge by wearing masks so people can't read us? Or do we care about people and people being able to be healthy and feel safe in, uh, in card rooms and in other places? Um, so I agree that, you know, this is a very highly charged, it's a politicized issue. Um, and I feel like this is one reason why th there's been kind of a firestorm of tweets and controversy and whatnot, because it moves very easily into this larger arena of, um, you know, what mask wearing symbolizes. And Ike is not entirely guiltless in this in this vein you know he he's he's very he's very liberal and he uh took some pleasure in uh uh his his victory photos wearing the masks in 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 his victory photos and 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 saying he kind of enjoys triggering uh conservatives by 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 them seeing him so there's a lot there's a lot bound up in here but i think for me it really gets back to um the priority of putting people's health first Right. And I, I agree 100 percent with that. And I, I think a larger issue, too, is just mask in general. I don't I understand why there's such anger because of what we've been through over the last few years. But generally, if you see like a person wearing a mask now, there's so few people wearing it. That is probably a health issue. Like the, the amount of people, let's say I'm just talking in general. Right. If somebody's wearing a mask out and about. They're probably not like just terrified of COVID at this point, they're probably have some sort of health condition that they're worried about it and they're more at risk. And when we, we like go after those people, 
we're kind of, it's none of their business what their health issues are, right? They, they probably don't want to be wearing a mask, you know? Like, to me, when I played poker with a mask, that was one of the most, um, sorry, my dog is, uh, wants to bark at another dog. That, that was one of the most uncomfortable experiences I could have. Like, I, it was very difficult for me to, like, breathe and focus, and, and I really hated it. And at the time, you know, I wore it. But the people in, in life now, the few people out there with masks are probably doing it not because they're, you know, um, scared, but because they may have a health issue. And I got to assume with Ike's resilience and wearing this mask more than anybody else in poker, there's an underlying health issue. Now, if somebody comes out, shows me pictures of Ike going out to restaurants and doing all these things and he's not wearing a mask and he's only wearing a mask at a poker table. OK, different issue. But as yet, I don't believe any of that has happened. Right. Have you all seen anything like that uh, other than the, the vaping charge? Yeah, and I guess Which that's another important point to bring up is Negron, you kind of chimed in as a quasi joke talking about how, um, you know, on the one hand, Ike is wearing a mask and on the other hand, he was seen maskless smoking or vaping or whatever were you going to say something gene no i i, I i'm sorry um uh, i wouldn't but i didn't know that ike smoked i mean that's a that's kind of a weird situation uh do do, do we know what his medical issues are did he ever disclose that of why so he did not, and he hasn't. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm kind of the viewpoint, like if he's wearing the mask, you just assume there's a medical condition. It's not really our business to ask. But I think Justin Bottomo and maybe some other people came out and said he's talked about long COVID. And maybe he had had, I'm assuming maybe he had had COVID and then he had long COVID. Of course, there's a lot of some people believe there is no such thing as long COVID and some people um, believe that there is. And that seems to be a political issue when, um, you know, maybe we should just listen to the, the doctors that talk about it. Well, although everybody's got their own favorite set of doctors when it comes to COVID. Right. But um, I, I think uh, it's a long COVID issue and um, but there's nothing he's never come out and definitively said that. I know that he's been very active in helping other people that have said that they've suffered from long COVID and, and they've gotten them PPE or get recommended some things for them to take. Um, so he has a pretty big knowledge base on that. And I would guess that's probably what it is. Um, and we know some people who have certainly had some issues dealing with COVID um, past actually having it. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's the vaccine that caused long COVID or there is no long COVID. But we know people that have, have dealt with those issues um, without ever taking the vaccine. And they're certainly not the kind of people that just kind of make this up in their head or some some sort of anxiety uh, versus actually an affliction. And the stuff I've read has suggested that it is real and it's very bad. And I know some people that have had really terrible life experiences uh, since contracting COVID and, and dealing with that. So I don't want to wait. I don't want to get too political because, you know, um, it, and I'm not trying to be political. It just seems this issue just, you know, it's, it's like a, a line in the sand. And, and, you know, 
I don't necessarily agree uh, 100% with either side. All right. You guys. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that, Bill. I, the last thing I'll say is, you know, this, um, I think this is a reminder for all of us to, um, to uh, kind of challenge ourselves and, and think about to what extent we're sort of putting forward cynical interpretations of other people and their actions or charitable interpretations. And I feel like um, Phil, Phil's cynical interpretation that like wearing the mask as a tactic, I mean, I think it says so, it's more about Phil Helmuth than about Ike. Um, you know, we can never know what Mike's motivations are. And in the end, I don't think it matters. I think it's more of just like, how can we, um, you know, how can we put forward charitable, charitable interpretations rather than just like this toxic, like, well, he must be playing to get an edge. Um, yes, there are people in poker who are, who are trying to game every system and get every edge. Um, you know, but, but I think I, I, looking at the bigger context and looking at Ike's track record um, and looking at the, this bigger picture of long COVID and, and, and possible health conditions. Yeah. I, I just, uh, uh, and also looking at Phil Helmuth, you know, I, I think if someone with who had a little bit more credibility was making this, uh, this charge, then that might change my mind as well. But, uh, but Phil Helmuth is of course, uh, another story. We're going to talk to Matt Higgins. Is there anything you want to talk, say about Matt before we, we jump into the interview, Bill? Uh, great guy. We're always grateful for Matt to uh, kind of support us and to wear GCP gear often. Very happy for his recent success. He's had a couple of big scores back to back. Um, and he's a you know similar Jonathan Little. Very glad to see it happen. So without further ado, uh, we'll take a little break and come back with our conversation with Matt Higgins. Uh, before we launch into our next guest, we will let Wild Bill plug the upcoming GC, GCP events. Bill, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so we got uh, a lot on the calendar coming up soon. Uh, one event at National Harbor, which is outside of Washington, D.C., where we're going to be doing the promotion and marketing, similar to what we did at the Beau Rivage. And that's a two-week event highlighted by a $3,000 buy-in main event um, and I think maybe 3 million in guarantees there. It's always a lot of fun. Then we'll be at Million Philly again in March. And after that, we're going to be back in Cachada in April. And everybody that missed our first stop in Cachada, we encourage you guys to come and check it out. It's going to be very similar to what we're doing in the Million Philly. And we think we can build it up to be a, a very similar and prolific event, so to speak. So uh, a lot of work ahead of us, but we're looking forward to it. Good deal. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, introduce our next guest, uh, Matt Higgins. Um, Matt, is, is it five rings now? Five, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, um, who was on a, a super heater. Um, two, those last two tournaments uh, were six-digit scores. Uh, Matt, we're going to give you the same qu first question that we give all our guests. Uh, how did you wind up in this crazy subculture of poker that we all wind, wind our, have ourselves wind up in? Uh, just tell us how you, how you got started. Well, um, I grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi, um, and at the, I guess to, when I when I lived there, I didn't really know anything about poker. Um, and I lived there until Katrina hit in 2005, and then I moved to Tennessee, uh, and then, and, you know, at the time, all I really knew how to play was blackjack, um, baccarat, and, like, table games. I'd never really played poker at all, um, but there was no real gambling close to here besides Cherokee and I, th I think at that time like, they were just like all digital games like it was before Cherokee had live dealers at all so um I went back I, I sold real estate when I lived in, in, in Mississippi uh moved up here after Katrina I didn't really I, I got my license but it was kind of hard for me to get in the market uh the market was kind of soft at that time anyway um I didn't really want to try to you know the old pity sell you know I'm a Hurricane Katrina refugee I moved up here da 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 so I went back to what I was really good at. I was really good at bartending. I bartended for, you know, most of my adult life. Um, started doing that. And then when we were getting off work, some guys would have, you know, they go play poker at their house or whatever. And I started learning, like, playing house, you know, 20 cents and 50 cent games. Uh, and then there were some tournaments around here that uh, they were running, like, the VFW and the Knights of Columbus and stuff. And uh, I finally got a couple nights off from work and went down there and checked out the tournaments and I found out that I, I like tournaments probably a little bit better than I did cash. Um, you know, just cause there's so much more money to be won. If you won tournament, you know, you're, you know, you're 50, hundred X in your money. If you win a tournament, as opposed to, you know, you're kind of capped playing cash unless you're playing larger cash games. So um, I want to say I probably started really playing tournaments like 2013, 2014, when I just kind of started figuring them out. And then, probably about 2016 is when I really started. Uh, I ran, I met Blake Whittington. Uh, and I never heard of him, but I did we had actually finally met. He came to, I'd run in a cash game at the time and he came to my cash game and uh, we started hanging out, became pretty good friends and then started picking his brain about tournaments and, uh, you know, just run hand histories by him. And he helped me get a lot better. And, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, you know, I just tournaments seemed to be where it was at for me as opposed to cash. So that's probably first time we probably ran into you might have been at Pearl River. Maybe it was in New Orleans at a circuit event. I'm not sure. But uh, you were one of the original Pearl River players, right? You came in very early, one of the first few, few stops I, had. I, I was pretty, I'm pretty sure the I won the very first re-entry there ever. I want to say it was card player was putting it on at the time. It wasn't yeah. very large. Um, but I remember, I think I won the very first re-entry there ever. And then. I don't think I went back to Pearl River for like two or three years. I, we went back like a little bit, but we, nothing like I am doing now. You know, we don't, not every stop and every series, you know, being there for the yeah. whole stop. Yeah. I think maybe when I first played there was Annie up, but it might've been card player to start. That's um, what it was. It was Annie up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, quite a difference, right? Like we were in a tiny little room. Huge difference. With... There was in this, it was in this where the sports book is at now. So, I mean, I want to say there was maybe top, eight tables in there maybe 10 tops yeah 
So I wanted to ask you too. Uh, you mentioned so you lived in Chattanooga or around there. I know you're in Rossville. I live, I live around Chattanooga. Yeah, I live right. I, when I, I moved to Chattanooga after Katrina, but uh, about two years of living up here, I found a house I liked, and I'm, I've been here ever since. So, so was that going to be temporary? You were just evacuated, and then you just kind of stayed on, or you were like, it's "Time for a change"? Or, well, I, I originally moved to plan to move back to Mississippi. Uh, I now was bartending at the at the Bow at the time, and then. Right there before Katrina, I got a job bartending at the Hard Rock for Hard Rock Live, and we, you know, we were setting everything up for like the casino being open. The casino wasn't open yet, and um, the casino just basically fell in the ocean, you know, when Katrina hit. So, um, but I'd plan on moving back. Uh, my oldest son's mother, me and her, I guess we'd been separated for like two or three months, and I, you know, I went ahead and put a deposit down on my new place to move back. Uh, to Mississippi, got my old job back from my old real estate firm, got, got a job back at the Beau Rivage, you know, I literally had all my ducks in order, was moving back, and she, you know, she called me, she's like, hey, uh, we need to talk, and I was like, oh, is it that talk, and she was like, yeah, it's that talk, and so, um, I wouldn't change my, you know, I love my boys, so, I think this way kept me in Chattanooga, um, granted, I miss the coast, but, again, you know, I wouldn't change anything. How old is a good reason to stay for sure? Uh, my oldest son is 14. Uh, me and Bill got 14 year olds too, and then uh, my youngest (laughs) is 12. His name is Maddox. Oh, wow, good stuff. So, did you am I right? You knew Heather and George way back then, or or Dusty is, is yeah, yeah, I miss yeah, Dusty and Heather. Uh, I want to say I've known them, I guess, as soon as I started playing cash games, really, they were. I don't really remember uh, whose game they were dealing. They were dealing somebody's game, and then they had ran a little game at their house every now and then. And, you know, that, that's – I want to say maybe this, there was this game in Cleveland they were dealing, and uh, I met them, and then good people. So let me ask you this. Um, you've, you had these two big scores, two of the biggest scores that you've had in your career within like 20, 25 days of each other. What do you do with the rings and the trophies? I got a. Uh, I'm starting to run out of room on my on my dresser. Uh, uh, Carl Masters has sent me this uh, when I won my. I want to say it was my third ring. Uh, he made me this big blow up uh, portrait of the of the picture. Uh, it's in it's in one of my spare bedrooms. I'm thinking I mean if I move it all in there, get me some shelves or something to put in there because my old lady's getting tired of looking at all the stuff in the bedroom my picture on faces, uh, you know, rings and trophies and stuff, but it's all fun. Some, sometimes people, when they start acquiring five, 10, 20, how many rings you're going to end up with, they, they give them to somebody. You ever thought about doing that? Are you going to keep them? Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to give them to my boys. I just, uh, as of right now, they're just, I got a little, uh, she got me this trophy thing where they, uh, this, I guess she ordered them offline. It was like a ring holder, like a trophy thing. Uh, they're just in these little tro- individual trophy sets right now. So th- those are two of your biggest scores. I was looking at your hand and mob earlier. Speak a little bit um, about, I'm guessing this is one of the high points in your poker career, and maybe speak a little bit, contrast it with some low points over the years when you've been playing poker. Well, I said, we know, uh, everybody knows that if you play a long time and you play, you play 
lots of tournaments, downswings happen. Um, I've been pretty fortunate not to go through any like massive, massive downswings. Um, um, every six months or a year, I've had a pretty significant score ever since I've really started playing tournaments, which is a huge blessing. Um, but I know amazing poker players that have went on two-year downswings. Uh, you know, Eric Salazar is one of my really good friends, and he's been on one of the biggest downswings I've probably ever seen. He hasn't had any real, like, massive scores. You know, he's just he's just getting it in good, like, in these massive equity spots, and, you know, they're getting there on him and beating him. Um, but, you know, he, he, won, he got second in the Tournament of Champions for the World Series of Poker, and I want to say it was 2018 or 2019, and that's probably one of his last real – significant scores and he's just been downswinging. So like I said, I've been blessed um, not to experience a downswing like that, but um, downswings are tough. They're very, very bounding. If you, if you're a poker player and you've been through them, you understand like it's very bad for your mental health. Uh, people don't realize that they say, Oh man, playing poker must be so cool to play poker for a living. And I mean, it is, it's great. It's a, I tell people all the time, it's a, it's a hard way to make easy living. Um, but it's the mental part of it is brutal. I mean, just when you know, you're just, I'm not saying you know you're better than everybody else you're playing with, but you're, you're in the top tier of players you're playing with and you keep losing. It's, uh, especially if you're, you know, a competitive person. (laughs) So contrast that I'm guessing you played amazing, but you also probably ran, pretty good in those two tournaments as well. Like uh, what, how does that feel to be in, in, in kind of the zone as a player and, and also maybe having luck on your side a little bit? It's amazing whenever, <clears throat> whenever there, whenever, you know, uh, there's of course every, at, in some point in time in every tournament, like there's a, you feel a swing of momentum. Like if you, when you, especially when you win a tournament, not so much when you lose a tournament, but when you feel like you're going to win, there's almost a point in time whenever it clicks, you're like, I'm probably going to win this tournament, you know. Um, in the Biloxi reentry, I'd lost probably 45 or 50% of my stack trying to bluff this guy, blind versus blind. Uh, didn't work. Um, three or four hands later, this guy opens under the gun. I look down and got two jacks. I got 17 big blinds. I hate it because the guy really hadn't played a bunch of hands, but I mean, it just, the math is I have to die there, send it. He calls her two queens, we flop a jack, we hold. And then that was probably with like 50 some people left. And the, like, that was in the Bloxy Reentry. And I just never looked back, you know, just all my hands were holding. I don't think I got it in bad once really until uh, we were three handed with Maurice. And I'm, you know, 70 30. I got to, I got to call him with just about any ace three handed, you know, for 15 bigs. So. What did he have? He had bigger he had pocket tens. Pocket tens. Okay. I got ace five. Um, so Dale Roselle, is that is that the way you say his last name? Yeah. Roselle. He finished second to you and chair. I mean uh Tunica. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. He's and a pretty good. You know him from we actually we we uh I've known him forever. He lives he grew, he lives in Chattanooga. Um, me and him have been really good friends, even on and off the field. Like, uh, we played a lot of cash together for years, 
and he used to be his game is night and day from where he used to play. He used to be like, you know, just this big blaster. And like your deal is coming to catch him, like, oh yeah, it's on, you know, we're gonna, you know, one or two things are gonna happen. Is he gonna beat your brains in or you're gonna make a bunch of money, you know? Um but he uh he moved to Arizona for a little bit and he moved back and now he's back, you know, playing playing tournaments again. Um kind of cool. Uh he was a, he was in uh he was in New Jersey playing the Borgata series before this tunica trip and you know, I was just like, Hey, you know, I'm about to leave to drive to Tunica. You wanna go with me? You want me to wait on you to land, you know, and come with me? And he's like, you know, I don't think I'm gonna go. He's like, I'm exhausted of you know, I want to say he was in Hollywood the week before that. And then he, uh, well, actually, this is what he did. He was actually in Borgata, flew from Borgata to play the Hollywood main, because their main center, the one, day ones and day twos didn't overlap. So he went and flew from Borgata to Hollywood, didn't do anything there, and then flew back to Borgata and then didn't really do much there. You know, he min cash, I think. Um, and so I was like, hey, you know, I'm about to, I'm probably leaving at like 11 in the morning. Uh, do you want me to wait on you, you know, to go up to, to Tunica? And he's like, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to go. I was like, well, I just think that, you know, I say I'd run pretty good Mississippi, man. I said, you should probably come, come check it out with me. And eventually I ended up talking him into it. And, you know, the rest is history. We ended up playing, ride together, stay together, get heads up. That's not the first time that's happened for you, right? It's actually not. Uh, the reentry. I don't remember what year it was. Uh, it's been a couple of years by now, but uh, Blake Whittington is, uh, I was talking to him about coming to play the ranchery in Cherokee. And uh, he's like, you know, I'm just thinking I'm going to hang out at my sister's house until Monday or Tuesday and I'll come down Monday or Tuesday. I said, I said, bro, I said, I, were, I, mean, I was just, of course, you know, joking, talking shit. I was like, how are we going to play heads up if you, if you know, you don't come? He's like, and you know, eventually I ended up talking him into coming. Uh, he actually ended up taking an Uber, from Charlotte, because something was wrong with his car, uh, you know, $120 some dollar Uber from Charlotte to Cherokee. And the same thing happened to me and him get a heads up. And so I guess if I ever tell you, you need to come to a stop and I talk you into it, you should probably come. Absolutely. I was going to wonder why you don't invite me to more tournaments. I think I'd have to take <laughs> you up on that. Yeah, you yeah, give me some doubt. I'm not going to try to talk you into coming. Okay. All right. I'll do that for sure. Gene, you had a question? Yeah. Um, so, Matt, what do you consider – who are who do you consider the, the toughest players in the, the Gulf Coast? Uh, you know, obviously you play with the top guys. I've seen you with uh, final table with Moneymaker, Maurice, the whole crowd, Daniel Lowry. Who, who do you think's the some of the toughest out there? Well, I recently read this interview that Dan Lowry's the second-best poker player in Arkansas. Uh but there's man, I hate to see Dan Lowry. He is so fierce. He, I mean, he is a monster. Uh, Preston, very good. Uh, Donovan Dean. Um, I mean, there's just so many great poker players from this area. Um, but those three in particular, I, I just, I'd rather, I'd much rather be on their, you know, their left than their right. And, uh, and then well, what? Me, the, me, go ahead, right. No, you go. No, I was just going to follow up. I, because I, I, when I was researching you before this uh, conversation, I saw that you were 10th all time on Georgia's money list and you moved up. And of the players that are ahead of you, there's a 
main event champion. There's a main event runner up. There's Kerry Katz, who's got like 40 million in earnings, which is, you know, crazy. Josh Aria, David Bach. I mean, it's like pretty like impressive names. But you're also now ahead of Hamid Azadi, Stephen Nasrallah, uh, Jerry Monroe. How do you think Georgia? I know you're you kind of maybe consider yourself more a Tennessee um, native, but uh, how do you think the Georgia players and and from that area uh, rate against everybody else? Um, most of the Georgia players I play with, you know, they're a lot of them aren't really that tough. I would say, um, um, you of course, of course, I don't play. You know, carry cats play something but high limit stuff. Uh, um, Wyman doesn't really come out of retirement very. I mean, he before even before the main, he wasn't playing much at all. You know, he'd come play in Cherokee Main every now and then, but he wasn't. Don Wyman wasn't playing a lot. Um, Hamid's very tough to play against. He's very good as well. Uh, that's kind of like the turning point in the Tunica Main. Uh, me and him had a hand uh, to where you know I got it in bad against him, and I I got there on him, and then pretty much I never got it in. Real, I don't say getting in bad, uh, you know, rest of the trip was probably 60, 40s or, you know, 50, 50s. But that was probably the last time I got it in bad, uh, was against him. Uh, it's kind of weird. The whole story is kind of, you know, people say everything comes for a reason. Uh, sometimes I believe it. Sometimes I don't. Um, the night before we're on the money bubble, uh, diamond opens off of infinity. Like he always has a million chips anyway. Uh, I know he's probably on the money bubble. He's raising probably a four and a napkin. So a uh, guy behind him calls. I look down, Queen Jack and hearts on the button. I got 70 bigs. Send it. Uh, Donovan calls. Other guy calls with pocket fives, which is pretty wide. Uh, it's pretty ambitious, I should say, on the on the stone bubble for the money of a main event. But he, he calls and he holds. Uh, you know, and, and I probably wouldn't even win for it if we didn't have another day to try to shoot another bullet, you know try to another day to bag. So, and then I ended up being on my third bullet, uh, on Saturday. I was like, how did we get here? You know, uh, Lewis cleans to aces for a ton in level two. And then, uh, I lose set over set five versus tens, uh, and like a 400 big blind pot, like level four, you know, just very frustrating, annoying. I was like, why did I go for, you know, the whole time I'm just talking to myself, like, why did you do that last time with Queen Jack? You know, should just, you know, folded and gotten the money and then try to, you know, back from there. Um, but uh, I got about 15 bigs. Guy opens the cutoff. I look down and Ace Jack suited on the button. I send it. Uh, and he wakes up in the small blind, resends it. So now I know I'm pretty dead. I probably got three outs at best. He has Ace King. We get there. And then, like I said, I probably, I just never looked back after that. Uh, just kept steamrolling, you know. How was the play at that final table? You had some uh, pretty, pretty – uh, that was a pretty BJ tough table. Really, I think. BJ's very good. Um, there was a, a new guy. I want to say his name was Richard. Uh, he was a recreational player. He played probably – it might have been just because he was nervous about playing, you know, for that kind of money. But he played absolutely perfect ICM poker uh, for his stack size. <laughs> uh, Dale's very tough. Uh, me and Dale haven't really played much together at all since, like, he's been back uh, playing full time. Um, 
and pretty much I was just leaning on everybody until, I, you know, I caught a massive punt from this guy early, the guy that came in the day chip leader. Uh, he just basically gave me, I want to say 40 or 50 big lines with just ace jack high. Um, wow. But I guess I'd have something to call with, but it was, it was I just like, and I probably should have thought it through a little quicker than I, a little more than I did, but I just kind of like, in my mind, I just knew I had the best hand, you know, so I just, I just snapped him and we were right and we held, so. What did you have? You had ace-king, ace-queen? I have ace-ten. Uh the, the 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 recreational player Richard, I think I'm pretty sure his name is Richard. Uh, he opens off of like 13 big blinds. We're at 100k big. He makes it two and a quarter. Button calls uh, Ronnie Taylor, I believe is his name on the button. He calls. I don't remember the guy. The guy that had the chip lead coming to the day. Marty, I think is his name. Uh, he calls from the small blind. Uh, I'm pretty sure if I can get past Richard, I'm just going to pick up all this dead money. Look down at Ace Ten. Uh, ace of spades to the clubs. Uh, I make it 1.2 million folds through to Marty in the small. He calls, so now I'm like, Well, I don't know what we're gonna do now. I said, well, I just expected to get it through. Like, if I got past Richard, I just expected to get it through, and it just comes like 10, 6, 4, two spades, and he just sent it. Like, I want to say there's played, uh, Maybe right under three million in the pot, and you send it for like four million. And I just, I mean, yeah, I, like I said, in the ICM situation spot, I should probably have thought it through. Uh, I mean, I had him covered probably like 1.5 million. I just went ahead and I mean, I just snapped him and he flips a race jack high, you know, he's just drawn dead to a jack. Wow, I've read that hand history now that you're saying it, and I, I remember thinking, wow, I mean. Is that is that maybe how he acquired all the chips? Because he was getting all those th all those through, or do you think it was just maybe the pressure of the final <laughs> table or something like that? He uh, he made some very massive bets, you know that you normally can't call. Uh, like ICM ICM wise, just if you if you understand ICM, you just you just you just shouldn't be bleeding off that many chips to call pre unless you have like a super premium aim, and then at that point you probably should be you know sticking him in his face if you're. If you're calling it off, you might as well be the aggressor. Um, he never really, any of his hands, uh, he won a big pot against Dale. Uh, once the Dale had ace queen, comes out at queen seven three or something, rainbow. And he checked up at and he sent in Dale, called him, and he flopped set threes. He won a pretty big pot there against Dale. And then, but I don't think at any other point in time, uh, any of his hands up from where he went to showdown. He was like picking up a bunch of pots because he was like somebody raised, you know, at 50, they make like 100, 100 quarter, and he just make like 700,000, you know, just something like impossible to call unless you have like a real hand, you know. Is that the guy, Marty? Yeah. Yeah. He, that's his biggest score. I'm looking at his right now. He's, he doesn't have a whole lot of Hendon uh, Mom. I know that it said he had two rings. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. My, I, and that's, I know a lot of people do a lot of research on people like for their day twos. And yeah, he I, does. I, yeah. I don't, I don't really ever do research on people on my table. Um, unless we're like deep in like a main, main, like day five of a main event, I'll, I'll do some research on people just to kind of see what they're, if they're capable people 
or whatnot. But most of the time, I just try to play my game. You know, um, I don't care who I'm playing against. Um, like I said, I hate playing against. There's a lot of people. I, I really play against a lot of people that play against Dan Lowry. I think he's. I mean, I really think he's one of the greatest to ever play the game. He's. He's a beast. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that in terms of researching people. I used to do it, and I played uh, one year. I went deep in the in a in the main, and I was reading my table draw the next day, and it was loaded. You know, there was like I was doing the research, and all these guys had a ton of winnings, and I was like, "Well, this guy doesn't." So my strategy is to go after that guy, and that guy beat the heck out of me. I, <laughs> I didn't win a pot against him. I won all my pots against everybody else, but. Um, well, the thing is, this you so have to realize, I was like, you know what? Even a lot of times, these people that don't have any hand and mob scores, these guys can be nosebleed cash game players that just the pressure doesn't bother them. Like Jesse Jones, he actually, I forgot about Jesse. Jesse Jones is a monster, and a lot of people don't have any idea who he is because he, he just plays him and Matt Bond. They play a lot of big cash uh, in Texas, and they don't really know who they are. But if you know them, you know that they're they're very good. Yeah. To uh. So what do you feel, uh, cash players or tournament players? I know you're biased a little bit, but um, or do you think it's just kind of different muscles and and they're kind of both the same? You think one's better than the other? It's just uh, I feel that it is easier for a big, like if you're if you're good at big cash, like deep cash games, it's it makes you that better. It makes you a better tournament player, like especially deep in tournaments. Uh, because the pressure is not going to bother you as much, um, and you you know if you're playing if you're used to playing a lot of deep cash, you know you're used to playing with 100, 125 bigs. You know you know how to maneuver through and keep the foot on the gas. A lot of people, um, I'm not saying I do a lot of punting, and when I get a bunch of chips, but I'm not afraid. I'm I'm going to open up. I'm still going to open a very wide range, and I'm going to do a lot of sea betting and. I mean, I'm gonna make you make a decision for your stack a lot of times, you know, um, and that's what it's about. So, cash games help you is what you're saying in terms of tournaments. Do you do you prefer one or the other? You prefer tournaments? Uh, I've been playing older cash. Is uh, it, I found out it was kind of I play like smaller games like around home. Like if a buddy is running a game or whatever, I go give him some action, you know. Um, but I mostly if I'm if I'm playing cash in the casino, I play poly minimal. Uh, it, I just feel like playing Hold'em Cash changes and affects my whole tournament game, I guess you could say. Um, I think they're two different games completely. A lot of people would agree with me. Some people would disagree, but. Yeah. No, I agree that, with you. I was going to say that kind of segues into another question I had. I saw you had some PLO wins or caches in your Hendon Mob. Do you play any other mixed games uh, besides PLO? Um, I like to. Big O is actually Big O is Big O and like high low PLO is probably like two of my better games. There's just not a whole lot of places that offer those kind of tournaments. Um, so when I do like if there's a, if there's a if there's a big game playing in a casino, I'll jump in. Uh, like if, like Cherokee is probably one of the few places to offer a Big O game, but they don't offer like a lot like a high bigger limit. You know, Big O they play five five, which which can get good. I mean, all the game cash games in Cherokee are great. Um, probably some of the best cash in the country. Um, I'm trying to learn. I, I used to know all the games uh, very well. Back whenever Poker Stars was around, I used to, you know, play like Raz and Deuce of Seven. And, I mean, I know how to play the games. I'm just very rusty. 
Yeah, well, that kind of segues into my, my another question I had was, uh, how, did you play online? Obviously, you did pre-Black Friday, or do you play online now? Um, that sort of stuff. I don't play much online anymore. Um, I played a little, and actually, back whenever they were around, I didn't play much online at all. Uh, I played a little bit on Poker Stars and a little bit on um, Full Tilt, but nothing really like the volume of like people you know back then like uh the hilton brothers jonathan hilton david hilton uh they used to be that's all they did you know is they they're they still they play a lot of online um and they're they're from chattanooga they're they're great they're really good they're very good at poker uh jonathan won you know the national championship i want to say in 2015 or 2016 uh for the wsop and they don't do so much traveling anymore. You know, like they just mostly sit around and they grind online. Um, but some of the best players in the world, they, they play online. You know, you just there's they see so many more hands than you do if you're, you know, you're playing live. It's just it's impossible to see that many hands live that you could have. Somebody played could play a year online and probably see more than somebody else see in 30 years playing live. Yeah, you're right. You mentioned a, a few guys from, from your area, Blake. Dale, Jonathan, um, is there an active underground scene or did there used to be? Did, did you guys all kind of uh, grind against one another for some? The cash games used to be very – I used to run a cash game for a very long time. Uh, I ran a tournament uh, with a buddy of mine, and it was actually – it got pretty big. Uh, they had, there used to be very good cash games here. Uh, there was a tournament on – I want to say on Wednesdays and Fridays at the VFW – uh, close to my house and it would get a hundred it'd get at least a hundred players every Wednesday and Friday. Um it was like a thirty five dollar rebuy tournament. Um and that's where we basically all probably met each other was there. And then afterward after the tournament they'd have three or four two five cash games going. So it's the cash tournament poker used to be very good in Chattanooga um as far as that goes and then Chattanooga police kinda decided they want to start making money, so they started cracking down on the poker games, basically. I mean, there's no other real reason for, for them to break it. I mean, nobody's doing any, doing any wrong, and then, you know, they'd say they're in there looking for somebody with a warrant or some shit. You know, they always had some excuse for, for coming in and breaking the games up. So, uh, most of the games are not really in Chattanooga anymore. Uh, there's, like, a couple games in northwest Georgia, which is real close to my house, and then uh, there's one in Cleveland that's actually a pretty good game, but uh, the the lot the underground scene has pretty much went away just because Chattanooga has made it impossible for anybody. I mean, nobody, everybody gets tired of having to pay these little silly fines and getting these misdemeanors on their record. And, you know, back back whenever this was uh, happening a lot, you know, they had this just busted paper. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. It's like where they, it's kind of like if you get arrested, they put your name on this little bitty newspaper and it's got everybody's pictures in it. A lot of people were losing their their you know their very good jobs because of this stupid little paper and they were getting these misdemeanors from being at poker games, you know, so, uh, it wow. kind, of killed, kind of killed a lot of the, the poker action around town. Well, so that's why there's so many travelers from Chattanooga, I guess, because we get a lot of folks come in from there all the way to Pearl River and, and obviously Tunica and, and Cherokee, like you mentioned, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what is uh, your favorite win or your favorite tournament? Is is there an experience at some point through your poker career where you 
stands out above the others? Was it your first win or your biggest win? Um, probably just the one in Biloxi uh, probably means the most to me. Um, you know, I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up there. My mom and my dad are both married buried in Gulfport. Um, my dad died when I was 18. So, I mean, the feelings aren't as strong as, you know, my mother just passed away uh, two years ago. A week, the week of Mother's Day. So, uh, of course, I still miss her a bunch. Um, you know, I love my dad, but, you know, I was a mama's boy, I guess you could say. So, uh, you know, the day, you know, I go back to tournament on, I want to say back on Friday, and then uh, Saturday, we kind of took the day off, went and had some good seafood, uh, did some shopping, went to put some flowers on her grave, and he got a flower. He didn't. He didn't get the whole. He, he got one of her flowers. You know, they're buried next to each other. So, I guess he probably would understand too. But did uh, you feel like she was with you when you were playing? Yeah, I was. I was just, just all day. I was very calm. I mean, I never felt like any point in the tournament. Like, I never like sometimes you know you get in this place you're when you it feels like uh you know you're stuck in quicksand. You know, you start panicking. You know, you lose a hand, you lose another hand, you lose another hand. And it's like, oh man, what's what's happening? Like, we were just on top of the world. Now we're just, it's like falling apart. You know, we got to do something. Uh, and it usually just, uh, I just never felt that. You know, just kind of just calm all the way through. Yeah, you know, uh, Joe Abair, uh, him dedicating his win to his mom, and, and I know of uh, one or two other players where they were kind of playing and thinking about somebody they lost, and that they they shared the same experience as you. It was kind of just feeling very at ease and nothing was going to overwhelm them or whatever. And, and, you know, they saw the end of it. So I'm really happy for you that you got to do that. You know, that's pretty cool because she probably was with you, you know, in that moment, you know, so you got to share that with her. That's pretty cool. Um, is Ben still with us, Gene? I don't know if Ben, are you there? You got any questions? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm here. Uh, really, really enjoying the, the conversation. It's, it's quieted down here. Uh, the cafe. So I wanted to ask um, Matt. You, you've been talking about some of the toughest players that you played against, whether it's Dan Dan Lowry or Dale. Um, but I'm just wondering what your support system looks like. Uh, who you lean on, who you learn from, and I'm, I'm looking at that winners photo. Of course, your tunica with some first first class players like Preston McHugh and Jamie Virtuoso. So yeah, I'm wondering if you just talk a little bit about about your uh, your poker support system. I have an amazing support system, um, especially at home. Um, my girlfriend's amazing. You know, she sports. There's a lot of women get put up with what we do. You know, I'm, I'm gone. I'm probably home two weeks out of every month if, if I'm home that much. Uh, most of the year, you know, of course, then some of the year I'm home for, you know, a month or so at a time when there's not really, like, any good series is going on. So she's, she's solid as a rock. Um, she's very good to me. I appreciate everything she does. Uh, my kids think it's really cool, you know, they can tell her, you know, they want to learn to play poker, but uh, my youngest son, I wouldn't teach him how to play, and, you know, I bought him an Oculus for Christmas, and he just went ahead and downloaded a WPT on it and taught himself, so we got to work on his sizings, you know, when he has the nuts and when he's bluffing, but uh, other than the sizing, oh, yeah. he's, he's, I mean, he's 12, and he's, he already understands it pretty well. Uh, he taught himself, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't think their moms would appreciate me getting them into this lifestyle. You know, they're both very, very smart. Um, 
they do great in school. So hoping they uh, go a different route um, if when they're old enough to, you know, want to play and or can't play in the casino or whatever, we'll, we'll discuss them further. I'm not trying to give them any real good advice just yet to make them really good at poker to where they're going to make their mamas mad about not going to college. Uh, uh, I have a bunch of great friends. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, I talked to Blake. Blake's a really good friend of mine. Uh, me and Dale, like I said, me and Dale have been friends for years. Uh, I mean, I, Cody Stanford, another really good friend of mine. Uh, you know, we just, I got, the sports system is amazing. I mean, you know, when you're down swinging, it's tough and it's, it's, it's nice to be able to, you know, People have been there, like especially if they've been playing a long time. They understand that downswings happen, and that are kind of, you know, man, you just got to push through. You know, just stay positive. So that, that's funny you mentioned that about your boys because um, with my kids, my daughter seemed to be the only one interested in poker, and then I figured out I think she just like staying up late with me watching WPT or whatever we were watching for a while. But me and her bonded a little bit with that. But she might just want to stay up late. But my boys, I'm trying to keep away as well. Like I think my rule is they can't play till they're like 27, which probably is the wrong idea. That's probably going to motivate them to play as soon as possible. But um, you know, I just seen so many young guys have like early success in poker, and it's almost like the, the worst thing for you. You're better off like struggling to start, you know, and then it's easier to deal with the successes later versus right. you know, like you mentioned with the downswings. So I'm in the same boat as you. It's let, let's get them focused on other stuff first. Uh, we'll see. Right. We'll see, but I'm, I'm not steering them that way. Uh, like I said, they're both very smart. They both do very well in school. Uh, so it's just, see they wouldn't, you know, they play football, wrestle, baseball, all this. You know. yeah. So we just, hopefully they'll stick through that and we'll, we'll figure it out later if that's what they decide they really want to do. Right. It's always dangerous when they're competitive because then they they get to the point where they're looking for a new outlet for that. You know, I think that's true of almost all of the people uh, that we know that played poker. At some point, we're all competitive to something else before, right? Uh, and this is a good outlet for it. So, what about you, Gene? Uh, when is uh, Ivy going to be allowed to play poker? Well, is he already playing? no. Uh, well, if he's playing, I don't know that he is. Um, and obviously knows we have this company and that I go, we have to go work the poker tournaments and this and that, but he's actually never asked me about it. Like, um, you know, the only thing him and I had a conversation, um, where I, you know, explained to him that it's a, it's a math game. Okay. Daddy's not gambling. I'm not sitting at a blackjack table trying to beat the house or anything like that. Uh, mathematicians have proven it's a game of skill. The best player is going to win in the long run. And it's just like chess. It's just like pool, just like backgammon. Um, there's, there's skill component that, you know, if you, make the right decisions and are perceptive enough that's how you can win in poker and he seemed to understand that and then that's the same conversation i have to have with you know all my bosses i just got a new boss so now i gotta you know figure out whether this guy you know um is how he's gonna react because um my old boss they did a realignment. So uh, my old boss was cool. He 
call me riverboat gambler and all this other kind of stuff. And then now I got this new boss and it's never come up yet, but everybody, you know, that all my peers at spectrum, all know I'll play poker. You can Google my name. And so, but it's never come up, but that's going to be the same conversation I'm going to have to have with him, you know? Yeah. I find uh, one of the hardest things is uh, explaining it to people that have maybe played a little bit and, probably didn't play it very well. And so in their opinion, it's not a skill game because they got beat up or whatever, or, or they were into it for a little bit. They got their brains kicked in and like, oh, well, it's just gambling because right. they, they can't they can't have lost because they were bad, right? Those people are harder to explain than the people that are completely naive, I think. You know, it was yeah. that's that's a funny story. We were uh we were just talking about like uh anytime you like you get a cab in Vegas, uh you know the the cab the Uber <laughs> drivers are like you know, what are you, what are you coming over here for? What are you doing? Like, yo, we play poker, you know, da, da. and they just like, Oh, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at blackjack, you know? And it's like, it's not really the same thing. And it's just like literally <laughs> every single time it's like a blackjack story or, uh, you know, there's a couple of people that actually have actually played poker, but more times than none, it's like, they have a blackjack story for you. Uh, right. That's funny. In fact, that it, my Ubers and cab rides in Vegas now, I reconsider even talking about poker at all because I, I, I get those stories, the blackjack stories, or you'll get the the one guy telling you, all of a sudden you're listening to bad beats because the guy had played limit poker for a little bit at some period. And you're like, you know what? The reason I'm in your Uber is because I took a nasty one walking out of the Venetian. So I don't really need to hear you tell me about your. It's it's uh, the word. I mean, you just take a real bad beat. And you're just, you just want a quiet ride. And man, they just have to, I wish there was more, more, more. A few times I've got a little button where it says, do you want a quiet ride? Do you want a conversation? And I wish it would be on every single one of them, you know, but like quiet ride. Yep. Especially in the morning, probably not so much is fine. But if we're leaving a casino at nighttime and 90% of the time, we're going to want a quiet ride back. Yep. 100%. I started actually just walking back a lot of times if it wasn't incredibly too far. Uh, it's just like a 15 minute walk. I've started walking back just so I don't have to, so I can have, you know, get the fresh air and walk back and not have to carry on a conversation with anybody if I don't want to. Yeah. Hey, Gene, uh, you or Ben got any more questions for Matt? Um, no, I'm good. Uh, yeah, just one more, which which I suppose would be looking to the, to the future. Um, you know, you obviously have, uh, yeah, you've cultivated a recipe for success over the years. You've been doing this for a long time, and I'm just wondering if your uh, your goal is to do more of the same, or if you have uh, new goals moving forward, different kind of tournaments you want to play, play bigger, play in other regions, or or not. I think a lot of the mistakes that people make uh, is when they have some success, they just start jumping up in the size of their buy-ins um, and playing buy-ins that are not really feasible for them. You know, you, you, you may have won some money and you, like I said, downswings happen. And um, I think a lot of problem people have is like, they go play 10 K's. So they play more, a lot more five K's than they're playing. Are they uh, uh, 25 K's? And, you know, it's not some, I would say the players are more, uh, I would say they're, I guess they're you call them better players. I guess I, I play with some of these guys that, you know, that's all they play is 10 K's and 25 K's and, uh, some of these main event and then the main event and like these 3500s in Fort Lauderdale. I play with a lot of them. Um, the main difference between a lot of them is they're all, they, they, 
play math. Like they, you know, most of these guys, they, they just absolutely stick to math. No matter what, this is what GTO says. This is what I, sh- I have 17 lead blinds, sky open from a hijack. I have clean jack suited in the small blind. This is a slam dunk, uh, you know, send it, you know, when I'm, a lot of my game is more feel, um, you know, if this guy hasn't played a hand in four hours and he opens, I don't care where he opens from. He can open from the button and, you know, I'm not going to see a lot of times I'm just going to play what I feel. I don't, I don't really, I, I do stick. I like to, I, like to, I look at uh, preflop charts a lot. <clears throat> um, just because I really know what everybody else is doing. Uh, I do some studying, but like I said, the most of the studying I do is because I want to know what, what the wizards are doing, you know, what are, what are their mindset is. Um, and I, I do include it a lot in my game, but um, not so much in the 400s and stuff like that. You know, um, Mike from Alabama is not uh, thinking about four bad me light with, you know, ace four offsuit because he's blocking ace. So I probably don't have aces, you know, um, you know, just stuff like that. But um for the most part, I plan on sticking to, uh, you know, what I'm the series, the circuit series, uh, 400s, uh, 1700 mains. Uh, I've always, I like to go down to Fort Lauderdale and play the $3,500 main they have down there. Uh, you know, this one in April, it's always the biggest one they have. Uh, it's almost always over a million for first for it. Um, I've made it pretty deep in that tournament once, and I took a really, really ugly one. Uh, on day five, on day four, coming fifth in chips, and uh, I'm out in an hour and a half. Uh, took a really, really dumb one, but it's it's part of it. Um, uh, like I said, I think a lot of the mistakes people make with is bankroll management. Bankroll management is so huge, and I have my life leaks. You know, I like to – it used to be blackjack. I don't play blackjack so much anymore. Uh, I wish it was blackjack still. Uh, slot machines are a lot more expensive than uh, blackjack pushing the button happens the money goes a lot faster <laughs> so uh, i'm trying to now that i got some money in my pocket i'm trying not to do as much gambling uh hopefully i can keep myself out of the pits strategy wise is, is there ever been a piece of information or um maybe a mentor that gave you some advice or just one little thing where it seemed to click and you seemed to to level up because i mean we have a lot of people who play on the coast, listen to the podcast, who maybe have had some 10K, uh, you know, 10K to 30K scores, but nothing like six figures or anything like that. Is there a piece of information, a little nugget that you really got a lot out of or is uh, experience kind of overwhelmed that? Any- Most of it is experience. Um, this is, I don't, you know, everybody's, I tell people all the time, I don't do free coaching, but I don't do coaching at all. So, uh, I mean, we've talked about, you know, me, Blake, and Preston, and then a couple other people talked about maybe David Moses. We all talked about maybe putting something together and starting some coaching, but uh, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I've had so many people ask me for coaching. I just wouldn't even know where to start. Um, but from my experience, I do better in tournaments if I don't let my opponent dictate when I'm going to flip for my stack. Um, I don't – I hate calling off. Uh, you know, I mean, I just hate it. I'd much rather be the one, be the aggressor, sticking the money in, making them call it off. Um, yeah. And 
I've always seemed to do better when I'm the one being the aggressor as opposed to calling off. So if I can give any advice, flip on your own terms. Yeah. It's good advice for sure. It is. I always, always feel like I'm having better results um, when I am being the aggressor and the, you know, I think you're exactly right. Like you, you feel better about it. Even if you don't win the flip, then you do when you're like calling off and you're not really sure. Yeah. You're flipping, but they always seem to hit those spots or where they hold if you need to hit. So, um, well, I think that's everything from me. We, we enjoy talking to you. We're certainly, uh, uh, have always uh, valued the fact that you're willing to wear our gear and stuff. We saw you in that winner's photo wearing the GCP sweatshirt and we, Thank you for that. That was pretty cool of you. We're looking for my endorsement oh. check in the mail. Just whenever I need my address. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, please send the address as soon as possible. Appreciate you, Bill. Yep. Thank you, Matt. 